Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. There we go. I knew it. I knew you were lying. I knew it. Look. What is it? Kyber. Sky Kyber. He's been hiding it. Skeen? Sky Kyber, look in a glow. What's going on? I warned you. He comes here with nothing but the clothes on his back and a stone worth 30,000 credits. If you have a problem, you come to me. Here I am. This week, the story is about a show that's been pretty widely acclaimed by critics and a huge portion of fans, but also exists in a time when there's a Game of Thrones show airing and a Lord of the Rings show airing and a Marvel show just finished up. And there's any other number of genre fandoms that may be reaching a focus capacity and or is flying under the radar for the most part, culturally. And we've been honest about our feelings about it on the show. Ross, is it possible for in the second half, which we're nearing now, for its pace to change and suddenly we feel electrified by the the pace of Andor? Absolutely. It absolutely could. I, I don't want to discount any of these arcs as they appear to be extremely different. While yeah. there's really good consistency, I will say, between the two arcs feeling like they're part of the same TV show. They feel like they belong back to back. They work really well together. Uh, I'm I'm totally in favor of the way that's been executed. I still stand firmly in the camp that this show is being delivered to us in the wrong way and that we should be getting all these arcs at once so that we can binge them um, like mini movies. And I'm fine with them being broken up into three parts because that's kind of Star Wars trilogy style. So that would have been cool. I just think we need to get them together because the pacing is weird. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the pacing in the next arc of three won't be a little bit speedier in each and then have an, just an overall higher pace three episode story um and because everything's been kind of building the way it is uh i wouldn't be shocked if that was the case that if one of the two final arcs is is as an overall significantly faster paced we already knew that it was being divided up more or less in three episode arcs and so i'm not really sure why i thought maybe we would get the heist in this episode because this is just the second part of this arc uh, wishful uh, thinking, maybe. We obviously didn't get the heist in this episode, and so I guess episode six has the potential to be exciting. But I have to say, I thought this episode was, for reasons of uh, stagnancy, worse than episodes three and four. I, I was actually newly bored and really struggling to to focus on plot. Yeah, I would. Agree. I wouldn't say it's. I don't know. I, I would say, yeah, I would probably put it as my third favorite episode. Uh, I probably liked it maybe around the same as the pilot. Um, episode two, I think, was probably the, still the slowest paced. This one had really good character development. Sure. And it did some things that Star Wars hasn't done before in a way that I really liked. I 100% agree with you. There's almost no plot. Yeah. Uh, almost nothing happens. Mon Mothma has breakfast. She's in <laughs> her car. And... Cassian uh, doesn't get along necessarily in the hours leading up uh, with these other rebellion uh, rebels. He doesn't necessarily get along with them. And this covers just a couple hour span leading up to their mission or a couple days. Uh, that's really it. There's a little bit of planning, but they do interesting character development in the sense that normally they would rush through this part and we wouldn't get to know these characters and then they would kill one of them and then we wouldn't care. Okay. 
Now, this episode will make us care when one of these guys eats it. Uh, and whether that's going to be Skeen or I think almost slam dunk, Nemec is going to die. Is that the kid? I really like Nemec. The young yeah. dude? Oh, definitely. Um, the, I, th- I thought that too. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's too idealistic. He's got a manifesto that will be left behind, something that Cassian will probably take with him. Uh, I, but I really like that character. And despite nothing really happening, I, do, I did enjoy getting to know him better. Now, I wish... An inciting incident could have occurred to make this episode feel like a contained story in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And that's where I feel like it failed narratively. But I do really appreciate that it gave us some some new takes uh, on Star Wars characters. And, that, and I, I enjoyed that part. Well, and it was more serviceable to the character of Cassian, who was quite quiet when he was introduced to these characters in last week's episode. But like he had that interesting moment where he... Uh, reveals that he has observed the other bandits by telling them, like, by the way, I've noticed that you're left-handed. I notice you three are right-handed and you're right-handed, but you favor your left. And so that was like a striking moment for them to learn about Cassian. And also we get to learn about Cassian uh, and exactly why he's valuable to, say, Luthen. Um, I, I really like Skeen, and I know I've brought up this actor a couple of weeks in a row now, and so maybe I'm just like kind of biased and inclined to like him, but... It's kind of a classic um, headbutting dynamic between he and Cassian. Like, uh, almost certainly, if he survives the next couple episodes, they're going to uh, become friends uh, as the result of some shared experience. And so that's going to be uh, a bond, I think, that we could really cherish as the show goes forward. And then is the other guy named Tamarin? Um, oh, the uh, the big guy. Uh Crap! I can. I, uh, I got it in front that, of me. That here. sounds right. Uh, I can't pull that. That that's the one that doesn't really stick with me. I know the rest of them. It's, I, it's I don't have L. a lot of specific feelings about him, like ethically, but I just think he seems cool. <laughs> so, like in general, I like this band. Um, and you know, I kind of forgot about some of the Mon Mothma stuff. You're right about character development. They're developing her, her background and her like daily. Uh, mundanity in a way I never would have expected for Star Wars in general much less somebody so ancillary as Mon Mothma for us to then like learn that her husband's a total slouch who doesn't respect the driver and like Mm -hmm. and clearly he's just like kind of lazy and she's the the, and they have a teenage daughter like I do kind of like what we're learning about her Oh, it's fascinating. I'm really enjoying the behind the curtain. I wish a few more things were happening, but it does allow us to be to see kind of the subtleties of just how much of a dank Perrin is. Yeah. He is such a wiener. Yeah. And their daughter is the typical um it kind of what you would expect Leia to be like a little bit at that age, but probably a little bit more respectful. And so that can maybe allow Mon Mothma to kind of see a little bit of uh, her daughter in Leia, uh, especially if her daughter eats it. Uh, and there's a chance yeah. that that could happen. I mean, Mon Mothma, I, I do like, I expected her to fully leave her husband in the dust and join the rebellion. But what happens about her daughter? Is her daughter also just so shitty that she's just okay leaving her daughter? Uh, and that's maybe the case, uh, but we'll wait and see. And that'll be really interesting just to see if they continue to go with this 
analysis of kind of her mundane life or if they pick it up and do a little bit more work in the center which is what i hope i don't i mean i think it's possible that her daughter dies and that's what motivates her to like really commit to the rebellion i certainly think that she and her husband are going to get a divorce because like he just has no value in the story but i also think there's going to be some kind of schism in the growing rebel alliance like clearly she's going to choose we're going to do this right we're going to be organized about this we're going to do this ethically and then there's going to be the Sagareras who may in fact include luthan we don't know yet and probably will include some of these lord of the flies folks who cassian's been hanging around with like there's definitely two different ways we are enemying against the empire right now and though we know little we know that mon, Ma- mon mothma follows the bureau right? She's she's on paper. Yeah, absolutely. Mon Mothma is the pacifist, and but at the same time, she still does lead a rebellion of, of warriors. And so I guess we're supposed to perceive, and I, we do perceive Mon Mothma as being the right direction to go. The one that's probably the most in tune with the force. Yeah. Whereas you have your Saw Guerrera, who is completely obviously a, a, a lunatic, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if we have some people who maybe sway in slightly other areas, because this episode in particular showed us all the different reasons to be a rebel. Uh, and we're all fighting our own rebellion. Uh, sure. And so that could kind of show that maybe Luthen has his own perspective. Mon Mothma is the one who unites everybody. And so ultimately, of course, her direction is the right direction, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's not a funnel approach where some other people need to maybe change their extreme views. Like Luthen could be working with Saw Gerrera, but maybe it'll be a matter of just kind of swinging him back uh, towards the center. Uh, and maybe some of these other people like a Nemec or a Skeen, um, because they have association with uh, Luthen through Vel, maybe they get in cahoots with Sagarera, like you said, and become even more extreme. I could absolutely see uh, like Cassian losing his friendship to Skeen, uh, or like they could build a friendship and then they could lose that friendship because Skeen goes too extreme through uh, like a, he becomes a partisan of Sagarera. Too radicalized. So that could be really interesting to explore that because we know we're getting Sagarera this season. Well, I know, and you predicted last week that we would see him in episode five, which didn't happen. And then, in fact, we saw almost none of Luthen until the final act of the episode. He gets one scene in, like, sort of a basement. He's, like, crunching numbers. And then who is this other person who comes down and kind of uh, expresses some concern over his having cast Cassian in the in the big heist? Like, she seems to be a little skeptical that things are going to work out. Yeah, that just seems to be his assistant of sorts. Uh, she's uh, She was in the first time we see his antiquities shop okay and uh she does some good distraction work so she's clearly in on it in in a a big way um i I wonder how long his shop will last like if if by season two it will be completely gutted uh, because the empire finds out or whether or not it will um he will continue his facade this entire time and, and or or at least until it gets off in the show are you able to explain for me simply exactly what was going on with our imperial characters like obviously uh that one dude is having dinner with his mom and then there's also the gal who wears like the white tunic the blonde one i don't i don't have no idea Dedra. i have no idea what the storyline is with these people it just isn't seem, yes. it isn't like resonating with me period so 
Dedra Miro, who's the blonde, serious looking uh, woman, she's uh, she's digging into the series of unfortunate events, basically, uh, that are happening to the Empire that seem random, but because they're so random, there must be a connection. Either she's on the tail of Luthen or she's on the tail of all the rebels. I'm not sure what it is, but essentially that's what it is. She's a uh, low rung on the Imperial ladder who is just working hard to prove that she belongs there and is actually completely onto it. I think it's probably all things Luthen has orchestrated mm-hmm. and that we're going to find out that maybe their paths are a little bit more kind of going to f- follow in line with each other as this story progresses. And the uh, he's got like she's got her like assistant and they're kind of off doing their own thing. Whereas you'll have like Blevin, who I think he's just is he I think he's on Ferrix and they're just kind of fixing things up. So he's got that section under control. Uh, and then we go back to Karn, Cyril Karn, the um, the guy who was fired as being a corpo. Right. Uh, who's with his mom. That was really quite funny. Uh, the interactions with his mother. And I think this is going to show you the way that certain people are beaten into a pulp and that's why they become so horrendous as they're part of the empire. I think he's going to be an example of not everything that's wrong with the empire, but everything that's wrong with society that is associated with the empire. Uh, And so you've got someone like Dedra, who's maybe a more noble uh, like in her pursuits uh, and doing her job the right way. Whereas we're going to see somebody who's a much more sympathetic and pathetic villain in Cyril Karn. I think he's going to become even more obsessed the way like a, like a Sith does, uh, but he's going to be bumbling the entire way, but at the same time, extremely well acted. So he's got some fun layers. Uh, Nothing happened, but I would have liked to have uh, seen the conversation with Uncle Harlow. I think that could have been interesting to get a little bit more insight on his uh, familial connections uh, on the Imperial ladder. It's like they go up really high or what Harlow, who Harlow is. You have intrigued me on the, the note of um, whether or not they're trying to expose how exactly the empire is like brainwashing these uh underlings into being as wicked as we know them to be because uh, they've just always traditionally been just like unconscionable um Mm. and the only defectors we've ever seen were either like killed um for insolence or they were like FN2187, which is completely the other side. And so, like, it's kind of nice to see a little bit of nuance in some of these characters. I just don't know how deep they can take that, because ultimately we know the the Empire is uh, pretty myopic. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I'm just like, even while you were talking, it's, it's, it's no disrespect to you, just I can't seem to hear it. I don't know what it is about me, but, like, the show in general, I kind of can't make myself care about almost any of it. Which really is too bad because it's not for a lack of wanting to care. Yeah. No, I mean, that's completely fair. And I absolutely see how someone could feel that way. I am I am enjoying it. And as an overall, I think it will be, at this point, it's easily going to be the least rewatchable thing Star Wars has ever given me. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that it will be my least favorite thing Star Wars has ever given me. Well, it's it's I, not it's not rewatchable because it's joyless. It's like utterly humorless yeah. and it's just not a good hang. 
yeah, it's it's not a good hang. It's a good story and it's good character development. And I'm sorry, I sh we shouldn't say it's a good story. I think it's going to be a good story, right. but it hasn't shown me necessarily so far that it's going to be because it has nothing. Not that much has really happened, uh, but I do have the faith in it in the sense that the character development's been quite strong. But you're right. It's uh, it's a little bit weird and definitely the most different thing Star Wars has ever done. It, it does feel like it, it's it's missing a bit of magic uh, in a certain way that I was really not expecting from Disney. It, it just doesn't necessarily feel like there has been a consistent tone, uh, even with the hope vibe of Rogue One. But this really leans into a lot of. The everything that isn't hopeful in Rogue One. It's almost right. like Gareth Edwards was responsible for that and all the dark stuff from it. Tony Gilroy is responsible for well, some kind. And, and I guess like if, if all of this builds up to Rogue One, it has to get pretty grim. Uh, mm -hmm. And that they're sticking to that is strangely noble and again, unexpected of Disney. And so that's good. And for the record, I absolutely adore Rogue One. So it's not that I just like don't mm -hmm. like Cassian or I don't like the filmmaking of Gareth Edwards or uh, or Tony Gilroy. Like I, it's just something about this particular pace is not, is not. And maybe like I alluded in my intro to oversaturation, like maybe there's just too much happening right now. I certainly wouldn't be the first person to say, you know, I think I've just had too much Star Wars. I don't in general think that I would ever measure my life that way. Like I like to be as exposed in star Wars as possible as, as exposed to star Wars as possible, but maybe I'm sensitive when it isn't for me to just like completely powering down. I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, no. but I guess we'll see. And I'm going to, I mean, I'm committed to the podcast, so I gotta, I gotta stick with it. I gotta see it through. Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting because when we look at this story, we're probably what three ish hours in, um, in five, in five episodes. Yeah. Now in three hours, Cassian hasn't changed at all. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't see the writing on the wall. We know where he's going to end up. He's going to end up killing people for a bigger cause and then sacrificing his own life for a bigger cause. And so he's going to end up at one extreme, but at the moment he's just doing this for the money. And so he's still doing this for the money, but he kind of opens like the book a little bit so that you can see, okay, these first five episodes, we've known what he was all about, but now he's planting his flag in here so that we can almost like, this is where we're going to start our rebel journey. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought that that was a little bit interesting and gives me hope that we'll see maybe some more growth from here. But it also, I feel, acknowledges a little bit that, well, our main character hasn't grown in three hours. <laughs> that's that's not way we're used to experiencing Star Wars in anything. The right. television shows are more fast-paced than that. And movies are, of course, more fast-paced than that. Uh, that's something, like, we haven't had that slow character development since we first got Ahsoka. And... That didn't work out so well for the first three years. Yeah, or our protagonists are one of two things. They're either hopelessly idealistic or they just can't help but do what's right. You know, and like we, we began our last uh, Star Wars series with a character who maybe had been idealistic and has lost that. But at the end of the day, he's just so impenetrably good. And you have the history and like you, you've already like you, there's a heritage to... Obi-Wan Kenobi and so you're yeah. rooting for him and like it's the show is sweet and it's lighter whereas like we don't feel like we have to be quite as loyal to the the 
behaviors of Cassian Andor. And so especially where he doesn't really seem that heroic, it's easy for somebody to get cold feet about him. Yep. No, I, I would agree on that completely. He's uh, He wasn't so much of a standout in Rogue One that anybody really and and this has been discussed like in a crazy amount anytime the show was first announced people didn't understand why he was getting his own show and then it did seem like okay well it's gonna be a bit more about the greater rebellion and mon mothman's gonna be play a big role uh but when cassian really is uh very much the central character and of course it's his name on there so that doesn't that's not surprising but after what we saw with book of boba fett not always the case sure um it is something where I'm surprised that he hasn't grown more. And I'm surprised that he's not leaning or that we're not seeing more of the charisma that we did either get in Rogue One. Like he's not as likable as he was even in Rogue One. Right. And so that right there doesn't necessarily work for me. But this episode did show him a little bit more. Um, he was starting to kind of get to learn other people. Uh, he had that kind of the, the really great conversation with Skeen at the start and they get the, where the episode gets its title uh, about the ax forgets, but the tree always remembers. Right. Uh, and I think it's that a was line. a really fantastic line. Yeah, and, it's a good uh, line. It was, it's one of the rare, rare instances where Star Wars decides, you know what? I'm going to pick the absolute right title for this episode yeah considering all of the like best quotes we've taken and named our podcast episodes after those then they were never the name of anything in star <laughs> right. wars yeah they have finally succeeded because this is what we will we would logically have named this episode we should name it the other half so we will say uh we'll name this episode what is it so the episode was named the axe forgets um the tree always remembers episode, the trio is yes there we go okay and a tree grows in brooklyn too that's the other thing um Okay. Well, there were some there were some Star Wars uh, images in this episode or references. They weren't hiding from it quite as much. There's a really like great Tie Fighter moment. Yes. Brief though it is, it does feel good to see that. Um, and then they also mentioned Jakku at one point, which was like, oh great, we are trying to tie it into the galaxy far, far away in small ways. Yeah, they mentioned Scarif, I think, in the last episode yep. as well. And so they're doing little things like that, which is which is nice. I would like them to continue to do that. I think Hosnian Prime was yep. mentioned in this it episode was. as well, uh, in relation to them really having their shit together, which I like because they become the galactic capital uh, after Coruscant. And so there's some nice consistency there. Uh, yeah, I think it's starting to feel a little bit more Star Wars-y. And that's a good thing. I think the the setting, this Aldani uh, planet, uh, feels a little bit more otherworldly, uh, and maybe just a, because it feels Scottish. Uh, and yeah. Star Wars has, has used Scotland a handful of times. Uh, but seeing the Tie Fighter just like scream around the mountain, uh, it's 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 feeling a little bit more like a real Imperial base. Like when Gorn is standing up overlooking that area, like that felt very Imperial. Um, it felt very much like the base that we see um, in Mando, the episode, um, I forget the planet that they're on, but it's uh, it's the one where it's Bill Burr's second episode Yeah, um, where they infiltrate that Imperial facility. And so uh, it just, it, there, there were some more consistent imagery and of course, everything with Mon Mothma and her cool ass car. Great car. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic car. Uh, great Star Wars tech in the car as well. 
Um, so that was cool. Where is the build status uh, at this point in time of the Death Star? Like at any point, are they going to start to say like, okay, the, the, we're, we're installing the cannon this week. Like it seems like they might as well make that a part of this show. Well, it's an incredibly secret project. Yeah. And we don't really learn anything about it until Galen leaks the information through Bodhi. And so I don't know if we want to, like maybe we do some murmurs on the Imperial side. That could be kind of interesting. Like if Dedra would oh, uncover some things. That's about what, it. that like, is what I meant for sure. Okay. Cool. Part of that storyline. Yeah. Yeah, I think that could be really interesting to kind of see, okay, well, what's this ridiculous project taking up all these resources? And Or maybe, oh, this could be cool. Maybe that's what Cyril Karn graduates to. He gets assigned in the, he gets assigned to like at the end of season one, like he becomes an Imperial. And at the end of season one, he gets assigned to the Stardust project. And then we're like, oh, yeah. shit. Or they and, yeah, they just give him coordinates and he like gets in his ship and goes and gets there. And then we see the skeleton like coming into view as he arrives. That would be very cool as well. Yeah. That would be extremely cool. Um, and it would be great to see because we get to see the skeleton of Death Star 2 in Return of the Jedi. Right. But when was Death Star 2 started? Did they start that immediately after Death Star 1? Did they start it before Death Star 1? I actually don't know if there's a canon answer. There probably is, but I don't know it. Um, because it's so much larger, they might have started it before Death Star 1 was completed. The same with Starkiller Base. Starkiller Base was started before Death Star 1 Well, was if not, they're working awful fast. <laughs> exactly. And so that makes me think that we can't expect the timeline was that they were able to build the deck second Death Star at a ridiculous pace in just a couple of years. Right. And so it's probably about three quarters finished just because we're about three quarters of the way through the timeline. Yeah. And so it would probably look maybe a little further along than Death Star 2 did, uh, but it would still be skeletal like that. So, or But the laser would not be fully operational. Right. That would have to be a key thing. They would have to have finished the other side of the Death Star first. Yeah, yeah. And then Palpatine's like, ah, oh, shit, I should have finished the laser first next time. Let's start again, <laughs> and I'm going to finish the laser first this time. Right, right. Anything else you want to say about this episode? Like I said, I'm just kind of without great observations. It, uh, it really kind of let me down. I really could not seem to yeah. get comfortable in this episode. That's disappointing. Yep. Uh, I, I, I completely see it, um, but I did have, uh, I did enjoy this episode more as it sat with me okay. than I did necessarily amidst it. And so I, I don't necessarily feel too bad about that. Uh, Gorn was kind of interesting. Uh, that was uh, something to get a little bit more info about him. Here's an Imperial who wasn't necessarily... Like he, he learned from direct impact. He fell in love with somebody that he wasn't supposed to. And then uh, her entire basically planet got destroyed. And so he got to, and she died as a result. And he becomes disenchanted with the empire that way. Uh, but that is a very personal reason. You'll see like a lot of people and they just, oh, when they defect from the empire, it's for like a general reason. And so it was interesting to see somebody who was directly impacted um, because it's not necessarily showing that Gorn is philosophically against the empire. Right. He's just bitter against the empire because of what they did. He was a part of the empire, but was just is angry with them for killing somebody he loved. Or maybe he's learned 
but maybe he hasn't. And so this is a character that I don't know if I fully can trust Gorn the same way that I can trust Skeen, who's just clearly in it for revenge and has no allegiance to the Empire, uh, even though his story is dark as shit. Um, but he, he's somebody where it's like, it's kind of interesting. You see all this like full spectrum of, of rebel. Assuming the heist takes place next week, what are the chances that the heroes, Cassian and them, will overlap in story with Gorn and Karn and them? Like, will, will they come face to face with the... Presumably at some point, the two uh, ensembles need to converge. Well, for Gorn, I was referring... Gorn's the... He's the Imperial who's on Aldani. Uh, and so right. he, I, th I think he, he will be, like, he'll play a key part as their inside man. I think he's going to eat it. And I think Nemec's going to eat it. I think those are the two who will die. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Dedra or Karn will show. I don't think Karn's going to have anything to do with this plot line. I think he will loop back in, in one of the, the next couple. I think this Slow is burn. more like keeping up with the Karns uh, for this <laughs> couple of these couple episodes. I think Dedra at the end of the next episode will like put a big piece together whether that's connecting something back to luthan or realizing that cassian is a bigger cog now than she previously realized and maybe that is a reason for her to then connect with karn who's got a vendetta against cassian we show him kind of just staring at his hollow um and so he's clearly going to to really want to burn cassian in the long run i don't foresee it crossing over in the next episode but uh, i do see uh maybe the 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 spark for that coming about we're gonna see some action is it gonna be an exciting heist to watch oh yeah i'm expecting the next episode to be a completely different episode okay. i'm expecting this one to feel much more like an episode of mando uh they're going to finish the heist mm -hmm. they just they have to yeah uh it's and based and based off of this uh the eye description uh we're gonna get some really cool visuals uh based off what we've also seen in the trailer from it uh cassian is gonna have to play a, a leadership role on this mission you think they'll succeed uh, some, they'll succeed in some way shape or form yeah. yeah i i just think in terms of the way they're building the rebellion i think that they will have uh, a successful outcome here to to show that it's continuing to like they may not win at the end of season one but i think they still want to continue building in the right direction so i think they'll get away but not unscathed some people are going to definitely die and uh, i would love it if we got some more interesting stuff with mon mothma because i think we missed that dinner party i don't think that's happening i think that was right. just going to be like was just referenced and it's a different dinner party that we see in the trailers but um at least we're going to see a dinner party at some point. I would love it if it was next episode, though. <laughs> yeah, and it would be nice. I'm not sure if we talked about it on mic, but it would be really nice if we saw her interact with Tarkin at some point. That would be so exciting. Yes, that would be extremely exciting. Maybe uh, maybe save till season two, because I don't expect Tarkin to be uh, prominent, maybe in that final arc. Uh, but you never know. What about Hux's dad? Where's he? Brendel Hux. What a, what a pull. Uh, he would be a fantastic choice That'd be fun. to bring into the show because that would connect things in a way that people maybe wouldn't get immediately. The people who are like deep lore fans would absolutely love people who are just the movie fans would, would be curious about, or would just make the connection and would think that was really cool or wouldn't make the connection and wouldn't care because the connection doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but this character is somebody who was an important Imperial uh, and well, 
important in a certain capacity. Uh, they almost built their like levels of importance. Like the emperor was like, well, I want to keep some people over here to be part of my like Sith eternal. These are the people I really like. <laughs> and then you guys can start the first order. Mm. You guys are like my, like my B team right. and like, you'll be on the front lines. And so Brendel, you're part of the B team. And so <laughs> that'll be kind of interesting, but it would, he would be like a, like a Krennic sort of level guy, I think at this point, certainly not Tarkin level, but uh, I think he would have a pretty high status. That'd be a that's great pull. Anything else you want to say about this this episode, episode five, Andor? I don't think so. Um, like more Cyril, Cyril's mom, that'd be cool. More yeah. of that uh, in the next episode, uh, advance his story a little bit more. Uh, I don't think though there was anything else in this episode that really that really stood out. Let us know your thoughts about episode five of Andor, whether you agree with me or if you agree with the the greatest fans of the show. We want to hear about it. Um, or if you have any predictions for for what's to come in future weeks, tweet us at Recorder66. Uh, yeah, tweet us at Recorder66. Email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review on your preferred podcast. Or if, you're, if you're with us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. Uh, make sure you've watched uh, up to and including episode six of Andor, for next week's podcast, at which point we'll be halfway through season one, which will uh, do some more spot checking, I guess. Um, and until we are together again, may the force be with you. Yeah.